At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to DNI Spy, the award-winning weekly podcast which uncovers what's really going on in the world of diversity and inclusion. I'm Dr. Julie Humphreys. And I'm Natasha Whitehurst. And in today's episode, we're exploring how ESG and DNI fit together. Um, we're joined by Teresa Bowie. Teresa is an author and a consultant, TEDx speaker and non-executive director. Welcome. Morning. Great to be here. I'm delighted. So thank you for having me as your guest. We're really, really excited to have this conversation with you. Um, to kick things off, for those who are unfamiliar, can you explain what is ESG? Yeah, gosh, we uh, we live a life on lots of acronyms, don't we? And um, and I'm a non-exec director, actually, um, for an NHS hospital trust. And blimey, they have loads of them. So yeah, um, ESG um, then stands for Environment, um, Socioeconomic and Governance. Um, and those really are, I'm going to say, measures of business success. They're used quite extensively, certainly in the financial space. Uh, but we are, we are seeing them uh, much more prevalent now with in um, organisations and, and, and businesses will be needing to familiarise themselves with those terms uh, going forward much, much more. So yeah, that's what ESG stands for. So organisations and businesses will have a strategy. What does a typical ESG strategy look like? So um, again, these things are evolving. Um, organizations, typically the larger ones, as I say, will, will have much more um, familiarization with, with ESG because there will be a requirement um, or certainly a line of sight through um, investors, for example. They will want to know what an organization is doing um, around their uh, their approach to uh, the environment and, as I say, socioeconomic. What we're seeing, of course, is that smaller businesses are now having to start to tune into that as well, um, because within the reporting requirements, um, their, their, their supply chain will start to have to lean into that um, more. And so this is where it will be important for those smaller businesses to start thinking about, OK, what do I need to do? So answering your question, I'm kind of conscious I've I've gone around that a little bit, but answering your question, it will vary from organization to organization. So the larger businesses are likely to have much more um, solid and robust plans. But whereas the smaller businesses may still be in that space at the moment of thinking it doesn't really matter or mean anything to them. 
they're quite likely as well to have plans potentially that sit in silos. So again, what we see is organisations might have an environment strategy, they might have an EDI strategy. So again, another acronym there. Um, so equality, diversity, and inclusivity strategy, and then they're going to have a business strategy. Um, and what we're really passionate about is making sure that organisations actually have this overarching strategy, and they all are interconnected because that's where we're going to start to see um, kind of the real transformation that is taking place. Um, and it needs to take place because it sounds a little bit dramatic, but we're running out of time, actually, uh, to resolve these um, challenges, um, certainly within, within my lifetime, um, but we need to have this kind of infusion together. So so the strategy um, will look and feel very different for an organisation um, and obviously the challenges that, uh, that they are facing. But it's likely to include as they those particular strands and some organisations may focus on one um, or two of those strands. So they might lean very heavily into environment, for example, and not being um, quite as tuned into, um, I'm going to say, the S element, so the, the socioeconomic Equally, they might be doing um, a lot on the S strategy. So they might have um, be focusing on their gender pay, for example, or um, if they're manufacturing, they might be thinking about um, human rights um, and how they treat their employees, for example, but they haven't necessarily made the, uh, the connection with the E. So, um, so it is, it, it's a dynamic process and there is definitely not a one size fits all. So that's really that's really fascinating. Um, so we're here talking about ESG and DNI um, and how the two fit together. So at a high level, in your opinion, what should a DEI strategy have within it? Yeah. Um, so again, no one size fits all, uh, because of course every organisation is as unique as the individuals that work within it. Um, but there typically will be um, a framework that uh, that organisations can follow, and the key thing is to take stock in terms of what what do um, what are their employees telling them, both in terms of the hard data and the soft intel. Um, and then we have to look at sort of the environment that we operate in, and we know that post COVID. Um, I'm going to say the landscape has changed quite, quite dramatically. So I think tuning into um, where organisations are right now, because even if they've had a strategy before, it may genuinely not be fit for purpose, um, as I say, in the environment that we find ourselves in now. So, so pause, take stock. I think that's the key thing. And I think once you understand those positions, you can then really start to think about, okay, what's our aspirations and our vision for the future? We also encourage um, clients that we work with, for example, to widen the lens beyond the, um, I'm going to say, beyond the employee experience as well, um, and think about their EDI strategy and how it spans into um, their customer experience, um, into the communities that they serve. Um, and then again, reaching beyond that, you know, what do they want their legacy to be? So, um, and again, leaders are, are being called to be, um, I'm going to say, much more active activists going forward and this is where the connection sort of comes in so 
um, again, the content of that EDI strategy will be very, very much led by um, all of those sort of aspirations. But typically, we would um, want to see targets set for boards, for example. Um, we would want to see um, real maximizing um, employee resource groups. They're likely to include um, areas of um, recruitment, attraction, retention. Um, you know, th those are there's lots of kind of key metrics um, that are that are going to be um, in in those strategies. But I say it has to be linked with what is the ambition of the organisation and how does it want to play its role in wider society. You talked a little bit about high-level DNI strategy there and how ESG and DNI can fit together. Let's dig a little bit deeper. Um, can we look at stakeholder perspective first of all? Um, again, I might go top level here because stakeholders, of course, is quite broad. Um, so you will have um, your employee base. They're likely to be your, your stakeholders. Um, you are then going to have, as I say, the people that you will serve, um, whatever your organization has ha happens to be. Um, and then, of course, you've got um, your consumers, so people that purchase your goods and services. Um, and then, of course, on overlaid with all of that, if you um, have any sort of investment, they are all likely to be your stakeholders. Um, and as a consequence, they will, um, uh, I'm going to say, need to have a line of sight in terms of what your aspirations are. Um, and you need to sort of feed back into, you know, what do they see as some of the challenges? Um, and then how can you showcase some of the things that you're doing so that you use this to the benefit of all the stakeholders? So that's really interesting because um, a lot of times DNI is pigeonholed as part of HR. And a lot of the stakeholders that you mentioned there are not just the workforce, they're outside. What's your take on that? Yeah, I, I'm I'm really passionate that we do, as I say, expand the lens. It isn't just the role of um, those amazing ED&I uh, sort of professionals that are, uh, are kind of, you know, say leading the way, but we absolutely have to ensure that everybody understands the role and contribution that they make. So if you take, I'm going to say, the finance and procurement function, for example, they've got a huge role to play when it comes to um EDI. So think about, um, as I say, the procurement process. So how do they ensure that they are um, uh, asking the right questions of their supply chain? Are they going out to the broadest possible um, uh, organisations? We know that, um, I mean, I sit on an all-party parliamentary group um, for women in enterprise, for example. So, you know, we know that there are a lot of women-owned businesses um, and sort of government contracts don't always go to to women-owned businesses. And we also know that there's quite a, a, a big space around sort of businesses that are owned with ethnic minorities as well. So, so again, procurement plays a really important role. Who are they buying goods and services from? And do those businesses that they're buying goods and services from, what is their approach to diversity, inclusivity? And if we widen that scope even further in terms of ESG, because they will be um, delivering against your ambitions. And that's why I'm saying it's it's a much, much broader um, uh, kind of net to cast. Um, and then I think, oh, sorry. So I agree in a certain way because I disagree in another way. Because Ooh, okay. <laughs> rather than having DNI professionals just attached to 
talent in a workforce and look at the workforce because that's where their expertise and remit needs to end. I would say that maybe that that expertise can go into other areas and stakeholders such as procurement, supplier management... Oh, yes, absolutely. Sorry, I wasn't suggesting at all that people are pigeonholed. I think I absolutely agree with you. Um, so sorry if that if that came across as I think they should. I know, definitely not. Let's kind of peel back the layers and widen the scope and open the doors and let them go. Um, I definitely think we need to be, um, I think they can partner. They can act as amazing kind of trusted business partners to share that knowledge and to influence those other professionals to understand the role that they play um, and to challenge them, um, you know, in terms of all of their decision making, um, say, whether it be that they're buying goods and services, what are payment terms, for example, that businesses offer? And, you know, are they fair and are they equitable? Um, You know, if organisations are offering benefits and services, again, you know, are are these um, uh, through reputable organisations? So, no, as I say, I'm not in no way suggesting that we uh, we pigeonhole them, goodness me. Um, you know, how can they utilise their skills and expertise to widen that scope? I mean, we talked about procurement, but there's marketing as well. You know, how can they work with their sales and marketing colleagues to to um, enhance that knowledge and to really challenge them about their their scope and the decisions that they're making? So, no, more, more the merrier. We've got a big job to do. So uh, we need to get everyone on board. So that leads on to a sort of question around structure then. Do you think that ESG and DNI should be linked in the organization structure together? Because we're seeing the start of that in some organizations where they really fit together as functions and they're linked. Is that something that you think is valuable or do you think it's a bit over the top? Um, for me personally, no, I think it is really invaluable. I think um, uh, I think individuals, I'm going to say almost post-COVID, we're not entirely post-COVID, of course, but, you know, we're, we're, it's not as, as, um, as prevalent as, as it was. But I think employees um, want something very, very different from the workspace now. I think they're demanding to operate in a different space. And of course, we've got different generations that are coming through. So if we continue to look at um, the EDI agenda and sustainability separately, as I say, they will continue to be disjointed. What we're definitely seeing is that um, movement towards, um, you know, chief people and sustainability officers for example, um, because uh, a lot of employees, quite rightly, I'm saying employees, we're talking about society as a whole, are much more concerned about what is happening to our planet and therefore will want to work with organisations that really have a commitment to that. Um, And that gives us that shared purpose. And it almost doesn't then matter what protected characteristic you have we have that shared purpose in terms of the sustainability for our for our planet so again that can bring us together for 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 those um for those agendas as well so you're a consultant and working across multiple different businesses and organizations um is there anyone really leading the way in this space and kind of a role model that we should be looking to Oh, put me on the spot there. Um, um, yeah, that's okay. I I guess there is one business actually that really springs to mind, um, and it's called the Little Soap Company. 
Um, and she is um, an amazing lady, um, Emma Heathcote-Jones. Um, she uh, built her business. Gosh, yeah, she's got a fab- fabulous journey. Um, she was committed to um, creating soaps. And I think it was, um, she'll tell us her own story slightly better than, of course, that I can. But um, she, she she struggled to find natural products for her skin and was inspired by her grandmother, because uh, um, I think her granny and her used to make soaps when uh, when she was little, and so she started out um, making these sort of natural natural products. She had a sort of little farmers market. Um, I think initially um, her company may have been called Naked Soaps, actually. So then she had a big challenge from a big corporate about the name, so she uh, she had to sort of um, rebrand. Um, and she has gone on to do some absolutely amazing things, um, and it's all. Um, uh, with this passion of making a difference in in the world. She has gone on to become a B Corp organisation, which again is that status that is really committed um, to um, the environment and and how they they kind of operate. And it's a really rigorous process. Um, She's gone on to um, have a Queen's Award uh, for her organisation. So everything that she does is really around... um, sustainability and inclusivity um, as, as as well. So um, I think she's a shining example of an entrepreneur who has set up a business for good, um, but is also operating with some really large suppliers. So she, um, her products are in, I don't know whether I'm allowed to name stores, but you know, they're in the likes of Waitrose and, and, um, and, and Sainsbury's, et cetera. So, you know, it's, a, it's an accessible product, but it's really making that difference. And uh, so she's, she's definitely committed um, to, uh, to inclusivity as well. So um, that, that would certainly be one organization that springs to mind. More and more investors are sort of looking at organisations now to see what their ESG strategy is, maybe their framework and I suppose their ethos. How do we make sure that the positioning of ESG is right so that we can see that it's not a tick box, that it's something that the organisation takes seriously? Yeah, that's um, a really, a really interesting question. Um, you're right because there is a lot of um, there's a lot of greenwashing um, actually that that takes place. Um, and equally, I'm going to say on the flip side, there is a lot of um, uh, pink washing as well for organisations in terms of their um, in sort of inclusivity um, approach. And actually, interestingly, I've just attended a. Um, a roundtable event for um, all party parliamentary group on ESG. And we were having this exact uh, debate around, you know, what, what do investors need to sort of look for um, robustly to ensure that it, it isn't just sort of this tick boxing approach. Um, so I think it's around what what do they say beyond the, as I say, the, their initial words, actually? How is it? Um, uh, you know, what, what is the action? What is the output? What is the impact of the activities that they are taking? Um, I'm probably going to say something slightly controversial here as well, actually, is that I, I think because this is such a dynamic process, we are likely to see more greenwashing 
because we have to start somewhere, if that makes sense. And I think once we've we've started on this journey, it's the longer term impact that we will really start to uncover. Is it just tokenistic greenwashing, or actually are we making those um, th- those real changes? So um, I think we may see more. But but we have to hold organisations to account and go, great, you know, you've committed to this. And so what? What does that mean in 12 months time? What will we be seeing different, um, et cetera? So I think we will see more before before we see a positive change. And really, we see a whole new profession has been created. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. We will see more of that. And I think, you know, we will see much more requirement for that actually at um at board and non-executive director level, I think they will play a really, really important role um, on boards going forward. And, and I guess I would say that because I'm a non-exec director, but um, I certainly ask those questions. Um, it's really important that uh, that we do play those roles and we do hold hold boards to uh, to account. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. So one of the key players in all of this would be HR teams. And so assuming that DNI sits within the HR function, where is HR fitting into the ESG conversation? Yeah, they will. Um, they will play a really key role. As I say, notwithstanding, it's not just their portfolio, as the, as we've spoken before. Um, but it is another really exciting. Um, I'm going to say educational opportunity for them, actually. So, um, gosh, I'm going to say us HR professionals, and I sit myself in that category as well. We we do have to almost become a bit chameleon-like, actually, um, in terms of evolving with the organisation's needs and, uh, as I say, the uh, what's going on in, on in the landscape as well. So I think for EDI prof- sorry for HR um, professionals, I think what they will need to do is really equip themselves um, rather swiftly, actually, with um, what is ESG, um, what does this mean for um, employees, um, what are the frameworks that are coming forward because there are frameworks that are coming out. Um, uh, there's not one single framework at the moment, which is which is a shame, but there will be frameworks going forward that organisations will need to start to um, uh, report on and adhere to. So the sooner that they can sort of understand those, the sooner that they can um, um, act as those trusted business partners to the leadership team and to guide the organisation where it needs to, to go. So they've got a fantastic, it's an amazing opportunity, actually. I'm really excited because this is something that will really broaden their skill set and make them much more um, commercially focused um, and have that that commercially focused impact. So it's exciting. 
So if we can try and break it down a little bit, if we can talk about frameworks, because we do talk about frameworks a lot. You just said that depends what the framework looks like. Can you give us a flavour of what an ESG framework could look like for, for HR? Um, so there are um, frameworks uh, that, are, that are coming out. They're still being designed. You know, they're likely to ask what organisations' approach and commitment to certain um, uh, key focus areas are, are likely to be. And this is where there's going to be sort of a, um, uh, a, a matrix response, for example. So you're likely to have to lean into, you know, what data um, does the organisation hold on? Um, let's, let's take one, for example, is um, emissions and and travel um you know obviously post covid or in covid travel um sort of i'm going to say ceased <laughs> for many of us we've moved into the virtual world but we're obviously now emerging from that what will happen going forward and this is where you start to see maybe a strong relationship between maybe finance and and hr is that going forward in the scope reporting the organization will need to report on you know what are the emissions of company cars for example and employees will need to start tracking their own travel so if they're asked to go to a meeting um, and it's a physical meeting what means are they taking to get to that um, particular um destination and going forward employees may be required to not just log their mileage but the route and and how they got there because all of that will go into the big melting pot that is the impact that that organization is having in the in the kind of wider society so it's those types of things that um i'm going to say the hr community need to start to think about crikey that's coming our way what systems do we have in place now that will help us to, uh, to to kind of track that and and measure it so get prepared um you know if you're hosting um, an event somewhere um lots of organizations are now thinking about can we host these in green spaces i don't necessarily mean outdoors but you know where where are we hosting it because again our choice or their choice of a venue will have a footprint and an impact so can can we pick a um a more eco-friendly um environment so again anybody in that sort of um, entertainment space this will be a big thing on the on their agenda and how are your guests arriving at your at your venue um, and then how do we we track those so um it's 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 really dynamic so again I, I'm, I hope I'm not necessarily being evasive about a framework because it's it's quite broad um and almost to the point of it being so broad people are kind of going crikey this is big how do we where do we start um but there will be some key things that organizations can do to get themselves prepared knowing full well that there's likely to be more coming going forward. That was so interesting that you're talking about that organisations can prepare. Can you tell us a little bit about what they can do? Um, so I think the uh, the first thing that they can do is to really start to define what are the most pressing, I'm going to say sustainability and EDI and um, uh, challenges but I also want to kind of put this in a positive spin actually what are the opportunities I mean this is the biggest 
opportunity for innovation of our time, actually. So it is really exciting. So how do they define those kind of most pressing um, uh, sustainability issues uh, for, for the organisation? What, what are their consumers asking for? What do their employees want? Where is this as a, a great innovative opportunity to uh, to leapfrog the competition, actually, and solve some of the world's biggest problems? So um, th those would kind of be um, the, the starting point. Um, and then I think it's about identifying any um, risks that this is likely to create. So how do we mitigate those? Um, as I say, what is the opportunities? Um, and then think about the stakeholders. We talked earlier, didn't we, about stakeholders? You know, who I'm going to say who cares about it most, actually. And if you can span all of those stakeholders, but clearly they're going to have a different lens on it. And if you can build a communication and engagement around those different stakeholders, you will really start to leverage that support um, and, and and move things um, on quite considerably. So, you know, if you pick a topic where employees are really, really passionate about it, they're going to get behind it and galvanise it. You know, if you've got a, an issue that needs to be resolved and you get all of this fabulous, unique um, thinking power within your organisation, you're going to create new products and services and solutions that meet your customers' needs, which then is going to hopefully drive um, improved revenue. It's going to increase your, your reputation. So as I say, find those pockets um, and really harness, harness those things. Um, and then use these um, opportunities to, to simplify and streamline. We, we tend to get ourselves in this bit of a muddle, and I'm as guilty as that, actually, with overcomplicating things. But if we strip them right back um, and really start to simplify some of those things, then, um, then again, that will just help to, uh, to ease that, uh, that transition. Um, along the way. And then, of course, um, it can be helpful to look at what some of the others are doing. You talked about best practice before, you know, look at what they're doing. I'm going to say steal with pride. Um, you know, don't reinvent the wheel. We haven't got time. So, uh, you know, how can you take what they're doing? But again, with that almost lens of caution, it might be right for their business. So how can you take the concept perhaps, but apply appropriately for for your organization so those would be some of my um my my top tips as it were um i know that you have recently judged the business book awards has anything sort of really caught your eye that you thought would really help people oh gosh yes um so i was really privileged uh to be a judge um at the business book awards um and i was a judge in the change and sustainability um category so um it was a really difficult process we had lots of entries um we narrowed it down to um to six uh books which um i then say i i absolutely had the privilege of reading them and um it was it was great because I sort of snuck myself away, dived into books. I like a proper a proper book as well. So uh, and uh, and I devoured all of those. So there were two books. Well, there were lots of books, but uh, there was a highly commended, um, and then there was a uh, a winner. So the highly commended uh, book is um, oh gosh, the purpose upgrade, um, and uh, and I would say that is a real um, heart book actually um what do i mean by that it really it really is powerful in the sense of 
helping the readers, which uh, could be anybody actually, but in particular sort of business leaders, truly understand why we need to put purpose at the heart of everything that we do in order to drive and to see a real and sustainable change. And that could be purpose around inclusivity. It could be purpose around belonging, definitely purpose around the environment, which is where we see this beautiful, beautiful um, merging of um, ES and uh, and G. And of course, we haven't talked too much about the G element, which is the governance piece. which is quite uh, quite interesting. But yeah, Purpose Upgrade uh, was our highly commended book. Um, and then the winner... Uh, is that the book by yes. Paul Skinner? Okay, we'll add that to the show notes for Maybe. everyone listening. I'm sure he'll thank me. I'm not on commission, by the way. Um, okay, um, and then the winner uh, was the Sustainable Business Handbook. So this is a guide to becoming more innovative, resilient and successful. Um, and the authors are David Grayson, Chris Coulter and Mark Lee. Um, and I have to say that, so if I was, um, apart from my own, which we'll hopefully talk about in a moment, um, but um, I would say for anybody that is on this journey, you kind of need to read both of the books together, obviously, once you've read mine. Um, and um, and because Paul's book definitely is the heart, and I would say that David, Chris's and Mark's book, so they're the sustainable business leader, is the head. So this is where you will get lots and lots of um uh, sort of, I'm going to say, logical, clear cons- um, um, information around um, what to do, how to do it. It talks about such doing your materiality assessment. It talks about, you know, all, all, all the great stuff um, that will provide you with a clear, a clear guide and, and a process to follow um, in terms of um, setting up your, your ESG strategy. So, yeah, it talks about leadership, strategy, how you operate, opera, operationalize it, can't say the word, um, you know, what your structure should be. It talks about frameworks in there, which again are really dynamic, but it's a great practical book, but very, um, very head, very logical. Um, whereas as I say, Paul really sets you in the, okay, this is why I need to, uh, to kind of lean into that space. But that's, that focuses on, on the, um, on the ESG element. Do you think those books are for ESG professionals only or do you think they could be for HR professionals also? Yeah, so I would, um, going back to the conversation we had before, um, you know, these are, these books are definitely for leaders um, and I would absolutely encourage HR and ED&I professionals to lean into that space. I don't believe they've necessarily been written with a HR lens, but that doesn't mean if if they want to equip themselves to become much more commercial um, and impactful HR business partners and leaders, this is a book that they need to dive into because it will take them beyond um, uh, the traditional scope, I'm going to say, of HR and, and move the ED, the ED&I lens into this beautiful blended um, uh, space that we we have an opportunity to occupy um, between, e, um, gosh, all these acronyms, ED&I and, uh, and ESG. And it, it will absolutely open their open their eyes to, uh, to other things and enable them to have brilliant um, board conversations and hold their own. And I think that's the key. 
Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about your book. It's called Closing the Gap, Five Steps to Creating an Inclusive Culture. And we talked earlier about frameworks and strategies all around DNI. Is there support and information for those areas in the function? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, so my book um, was published in 2019. Um, so just prior to COVID, um, it was uh, it was published just as it was uh, was kind of setting off. Yeah, um, it was number one in the hot new releases within a week of publication. It was a number one bestseller, thank you, within um, a month. And then it went on to be highly commended at the 2020 Business Book Awards as an exceptional book that promotes diversity. Um, And one of the things I wanted to do, so I think you did talk earlier about frameworks, is I wanted to provide um, organisations with a framework to follow, notwithstanding that the content that goes into that framework will be unique and uh, and dynamic, again, as as I talked about. So um, within the book, um, I have created a framework. It's a cyclical framework because, of course, it never stops. We have to evolve. Um, So the first step within the book is take stock. So what do you have right now? What is working for you? What isn't working for you? Where are your data points, um, for example? So that's kind of the the, the evaluate piece um, is, is in the take stock. We then move around to raise awareness. So, um, you know, what? why do we even need to be having these conversations around EDI and sustainability? So how can we start to increase uh, the, the awareness of the importance of these um, uh, particular areas? So that's kind of, I'm going to say, around the engagement piece and the comms. Um, we then move around into the next stage, which is all about inspire and involve, because actually, how can we have these accessible role models? How can we inspire? Inspire others um, to really understand the role that they can play um, and and the difference that uh, that that they can make uh, there. So that kind of sits within that uh, inspire and involve piece because I I'm a genuine believer it's not the role of one that is going to make the change it's the coming together of many that is really going to drive the uh, the impact that we need to to have. Um, we then move into the next bit which is the B element of the the methodology and this is all about build for the future. So how do we create um, structures, processes, um, uh, systems? As I say, our vision for the future. Our, our our products, our services. So how do we build for the future? Um, And what does that mean that we need to change and do differently? And of course, as I say, at the time when I wrote the book, um, we weren't quite so engaged with remote working. Um, You know, it was seen as something that perhaps um, was only available to a few. Um, Of course, now that has completely, I'm going to say, transformed in a positive for many businesses. It wasn't possible, of course, for all organisations. But what we also need to be careful of now is the fact that we don't see the reversal. We, we are starting to see lots of businesses kind of going, well, we just need to go back to how we need to be. Well, that's not how people want to work going forward. So if you would Absolutely. Yeah. So if you insist on that, you're going to lose talent. Um, Whereas, as I say, so in the book, it does definitely talk about flexible working and it's still as as applicable because actually, how do we how do we make sure that we don't regress, Um, which sadly we definitely are seeing um, post pandemic. We've we've seen a lot of of things going backwards. Um, And then the final part of the the um, uh, the model is E. Um, So all about embed. How do you embed? 
um, whatever initiatives that you're doing. So again, I know on this podcast, we've talked about a tokenistic approach. If you absolutely embed these and you measure them and, and you really lean into the impact then actually you can embed them as part of your organization's uh, DNA um, and, and they don't just become another tokenistic um, approach that it's like, oh gosh, here we go again. It's flavor of the month. No, this forms part of an organization's values. It becomes part of it's something that everybody does every day. And the model is cyclical because you'll go back and go, okay, well, let's pause, let's evaluate and let's evolve actually. Again, I said um, earlier that... Um, you know, post-pandemic, this environment that we sit in where we've got, you know, as I say, the the, the, the impacts of COVID, we've got um, health and well-being challenges for organisations, we've got the cost of living crisis, dare I say we've got the war in Ukraine, we've got um, economic uh, environment sort of issues and sustainability. I mean, we've, there's just such big issues that we have to evolve in order to respond to uh, to some of those challenges. And so the book um, is, if you read it, say it's available. Um, and it, it literally is, uh, will help you to build your EDI strategy if you haven't got one. Um, we also have a free scorecard as well that organizations can take to assess where they are on those five key areas. It's completely free. Um, they just answer simple um, 40 yes, no questions, and they will get a, a report giving them um, where they are now and some recommendations for the future. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, they're very welcome to take the scorecard. It's free. Great. We'll add that to the show notes also for people as a resource. So we come on to the final question, which ask of all our guests. We really believe that inclusion is an action. It really just doesn't happen by accident. We really have to do something. So what would your top tip or inclusive action that you'd like to share? Yeah, I think the um, the key one for me is um, probably not going to be one. Sorry, I can't I can't give one. There's got to be lots. Um, but <laughs> Oh, sorry. Um, I think we all do just need to, I'm going to say pause and take stock, actually. What do we see and what do we notice around us? Um, and as a consequence, you know, what what is the one thing that we could do, that we could question, that we could challenge or that we could support on? So, you know, when when we work with leaders, we encourage them to um, to listen, to become curious, um, you know, to um, encourage others. Um, so that's the E element. We encourage them to A, take action um, if they see something that um, that, you know, they they don't um, uh, they don't like it. It kind of challenges they um, uh, what they believe in, what the organisation stands for. And then I think the final one on this sort of lead uh, approach is um, de-determination. I think we have to be determined actually for change. Um, and so, you know, I guess my one tip then is, you know, take stock, but step into um, lead. We, we all need to lead. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today um, on a really uh, relevant and interesting topic. Thanks. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. You can find us on Twitter. Our handles are in the show notes below. And if you've liked what you've heard, please rate us wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to get new episodes automatically. Thanks for listening.